0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday to you all. Glad you are with us as we are thinking through God's word together. Good morning, Juan. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Edgar. Good morning, Megan and Keith, child of Elohim. Good to have you with us. Dale, aloha. Y- you say that like you're in Hawaii. Are you in Hawaii? Hopefully not on Maui. Uh, Ken, happy Monday to you. Uh, Susan Throop, welcome, I think. Uh, I don't recognize that name, is this your first time? Good to have you with us. Uh, Edgar says he's done with his 11-page paper. All right, yeah, good. I'm happy to mark that up with my red pen. Uh, <laughs> very good, Megan's been reading. Hey, Mike, welcome. David Bickert Fan, good to have you with us. Ron in uh, Canada, great. Well, excellent. So uh, if you are a, uh, Susan says she's a newbie. Well, welcome, Susan, glad you're here. Uh, tonight is our first uh, Cross to Crown Partners online meeting. We're going to talk Romans first and then we'll talk about anything else you want as time allows. So if you are a partner, you should have gotten an email about that a couple weeks ago. If you didn't, send me an email this morning and I will uh, get you a, a Zoom link. And it's not too late. If you sign up as a partner today, I will, uh, I'll get you a link to that as well. We're doing it at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time and I would love to have you. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, bring snacks, Edgar, feel free. Uh, seemed like there was something else I was going to mention to you, but can't remember now what it was. So as we continue Romans, and I asked you if you've been reading, you got to be reading, right? Got to be reading the book of Romans again and again and again and again, because here's what I, what I want to show you as we go. Not only do I want to help you see the content and meaning of, of this letter, but also to improve the way you study the Bible. And the way you improve studying the Bible is to study the Bible. (laughs) And leave off reading the writings of men, leave off commentaries, uh, leave off theology, books, systematic theology. Those create frameworks in your mind, a grid from men that you use to interpret the Bible. And most of the time that I've had debates with people, whether it's informal or a little bit more formal, on the meaning of texts, they will throw scripture verses at me. And then I ask them, okay, let's go to that verse you just quoted. What is the flow of the argument? How does that verse fit within the flow of the argument of that letter you're quoting? And then show me, how that interacts with what you are speaking of in this text. And it's it's surprising how many people just throw out verses, but they don't really know how it fits in the flow of the context of the letter, which shows me they're not reading the Bible, they're reading theology. So um, I'm not going to go off that soapbox soap anymore, but I wanted to just set you up here. So in Romans, especially in this section of chapter two, you're going to have to remind yourself... Paul is not giving us a theology of law. He is not teaching Hamart theology. He's not giving us a doctrine of law. That's not his point. In fact, that's not the New Testament's point anywhere to give us a theology of something from a systematic, what we would call a systematic theology perspective. What Paul is doing here in chapter two It is he is trying to convince both Jews and Gentiles that the Jewish people are just as lost before God as Gentiles are. Let me say that again. His point is to show the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome that the Jews are no better off on Judgment Day than the Gentiles. And that is a hard sell with the Jews of the first century, because they were convinced that because they were God's chosen people, because they had the law, the covenant, the temple, all of those things, they were convinced they were right before God. And they followed Paul around and tried to convert Christians to Judaism, at least to be circumcised and add the law of Moses to their thinking, along with obedience to Christ, and faith in Christ and all that. And Paul has to explain what God is doing throughout history to get to Christ and the new covenant people. You've got to keep that in mind as you read, as you read the uh, letter to the Romans. It's not a systematic theology on law or Israel or justification or sanctification or predestination, any of those Asians. He's explaining the gospel in the light of the Jews. Let me show you. Let me remind you where this is going. Chapter three, verse nine says, what then? Are we Jews better than they Gentiles? Not at all. Do you see? This is where he's heading in these first three chapters of Romans. Are we Jews better than they Gentiles? Not at all. For we've already charged in chapter two. that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. You see the point? This is his argument. This is what he's unpacking through chapters 1, 2, and 3. The Jews are just as much under sin as the Greeks or the Gentiles. In chapter 2, a little bit later, from where we are today, he gets explicit about the Jews. But if you bear the name Jew... And you rely upon the law. You think that by having the law, you are just before God. And you boast in God. And you know his will. Look, we have the law. We know what God wants. And we approve the things that are essential. We know what is required of man. How? Being instructed out of the law. And we're confident or they are, confident that you yourself are a, a guide to the blind, that's what the Jews thought, and a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. That's what the Jewish mind thought, and Paul knew this very well. Right? He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the Jews thought they had in the law the very embodiment of knowledge and truth. He says, therefore, you who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? So they teach the law to the Gentiles and they tell them not to steal. And Paul says, how about you then? Do you steal? You say one shouldn't commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You say that you abhor idols. Do you rob temples? It's an interesting statement. We'll come back to that later. You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? The answer is yes. And now he quotes from Isaiah. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, Jews. These Jews who have the law, they cause the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God. Why? Because they don't keep the law. They have it, but they don't keep it. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He's telling Jews, if you don't keep the law, you are uncircumcised. Oof, Fighting words. All right, so we'll come back and walk through this a little more slowly, but I want you to see that's where he's heading in this argument. He is not giving what we would call a theology of law or a doctrine of law. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me on that? Ah, While you ponder that rhetorical question, I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good with a cup of coffee. All right, so let me go back. Uh, I'm gonna pick up in chapter two, verse one and read down a little bit to keep the context. Again, this is how you should study any letter of the New Testament. Keep going back to the beginning. I'm tempted to go back to chapter one. Our home fellowship is studying Ephesians and we're in chapter two and I read all of chapter one first le- yesterday to make sure they see where we're at in chapter 2 in context of the flow of the argument. I'm tempted to do the same thing here, but for the sake of time, I will not. But I'm going to go back to verse 1 and uh, bring you up to speed to remind you where we're at. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. So remember, at the end of chapter 1, he had laid out all of these sins that mankind created because they denied God's existence, and God gave them over to minds that don't work in evaluating what's good and right, and he set us up for catching ourselves. You have no excuse. So you're able to point out the sins of all those Gentiles, probably is is his primary thought, But in that you judge another, you condemn yourself because you who practice do the same things. And we know the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Again, I think where he's heading now is specifically toward the Jews. The Jews knew this. The Jews knew that those kinds of acts of wickedness, they rightly are going to receive God's judgment. But do you suppose this, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and you do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Remember I just read, from, read for you a little bit later in chapter 2, he's basically going to say to the Gentiles, I mean the Jews, who teach that you should not steal, but you guys are stealing. You Jews are stealing. Well, what makes you think you, a Jew who steals, that you are going to escape God's judgment. You're not. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You Jews keep on stealing and committing adultery and you think you're getting away with it. You think you're righteous because you have the law. But no, God has not taken you out yet because he's giving you a chance to repent. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The day is coming when he will reveal his righteousness, his judgment, and your stealing and your adultery will be exposed and having the law is not going to save you. God will render to each person according to his deeds. Mr. Jew, Look at your own actions. What are you going to receive from God on Judgment Day based on your actions? Not based on you being a Jew, not based on you having the law, but on your actual deeds. God's going to render to you according to your deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good, who seek for glory and honor and immortality, they will receive eternal life. Is that you, Mr. Jew? Have you persevered in doing good? Have you been seeking glory and honor and immortality? Have you been doing that perfectly? Great. Then God will render to you according to your deeds and you'll get eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. When God renders each according to his deeds, you will receive wrath and And indignation, Mr. Jew. Are you under sin, Mr. Jew? Yep. Therefore, what you can look forward to is wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. Remember how he started this whole thing in chapter 1, verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Now Paul is saying, look, if you are a lawbreaker, Mr. Jew, then you have to look forward to tribulation and distress, and God's gonna start with the Jews who had the law. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, some of you have been so trained in this theologically that you want to start saying, well, nobody can do good. Yes, that's the point. That's where he's going in chapter three. All have sinned. All are under sin. But if they do good, if that's their whole concern, if they live their lives in perfect obedience, then God will bestow upon them according to their good deeds and they'll receive glory and honor and peace and eternal life. Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality. God's going to treat the Jew and the Gentile the same on judgment day. For all who have sinned without the law. Who's that? Who is without the law? Gentiles, right? All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. We need to remember that. I think we talked about this a little bit in chapter one, but it's good to be reminded again. I get this question every now and then. You've probably uh, either asked this question yourself or have been asked this question. What about the people who have never heard the gospel, right? What, what about them? Is God going to hold them accountable for not knowing the gospel? Well, remember chapter one said, they are without excuse because though they don't know the good news of Jesus, they do know that there is a creator God and they are not worshiping him as God. So they are guilty of sin. So they're not going to be judged and condemned for not knowing the gospel. They're going to be judged and condemned because of their sin for their failure to serve God, who they know exists because of creation. Remember we talked about that? Well, here Paul says something similar. All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. What is going to condemn anyone on judgment day? Their sin. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's not, no one is going to perish because they didn't know the gospel. They're going to perish because they didn't obey God. They sinned. So, Gentiles who don't have the law, but they sin, they will perish. Because their big problem on Judgment Day is that they have sinned on their account and God is an impartial judge. So, the answer to the question what about the person who has never heard the gospel? Well, did he sin? Yes, he's he, he's going to perish. Well, wait, he didn't know what to do. Hold that thought. He didn't have the law. Hold that thought. And all who have sinned under the law, that would be the Jews, will be judged by the law. Okay, so Gentiles who have sinned against God will perish, even though they didn't have the law. The Jews will be judged by the law. God's going to hold up the law of Moses And he's going to compare their actual deeds, and he's going to render judgment accordingly. And if they have persevered in good, seeking glory and honor, and done what is right, then God's going to give them eternal life. You realize that's really bad news, because no one has done that. No Jew, no Gentile. So the Jews will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous. It's a courtroom term when the court when the, the judge brings down the gavel and declares you innocent before the law or guilty of breaking the law. Now, in our day, we have a, a jury of 12 of your peers and, and all that, but just take it the, the whole, the whole system, the whole judicial system. So when I say judge, don't just think American setting where you've got the jury, but think of, uh, think of a judge who has the authority to determine, to declare, are you righteous before the law or are you a lawbreaker and therefore should be punished? Paul is saying it's not the hearers of the law. The Jews are not just before God simply because they hear the law. No, they have to do the law in order to be declared righteous. So God's a righteous judge. He's gonna look at their deeds, compare it to the law, and he's not gonna say, hey, you know what? Since you have the law, since you all are the Jews and you have my commandments, I'm gonna declare you righteous because you, you heard the law. No, that's not how it works. He's gonna compare their actions to the law, and if they broke the law, he's going to declare them unrighteous. The only ones who will be declared righteous by the law are those who have kept the law. How many Jews kept the law? Zero. So there is no hope for a Jew on judgment day based on the law. They are condemned. They are just as bad off as the Gentiles. The Gentiles without the law are still going to perish in their sin. The Jews who have the law will perish because they haven't kept the law. Child of Elohim is asking the question where we're heading right now. Gentiles have the law written on their hearts. Yeah, let's look at this. Four. so he just said, all who have sinned without the law will perish Without the law. That's the Gentiles, right? They didn't have the law, but they will still perish because of their sin. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively or literally by nature the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In that, they show that the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately, alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So this gets all kinds of uh, uh, banter here this uh, as, between covenant theologians and new covenant theologians and so on. Remember, he's not giving us a theology of law. He is making a point. He is, He's showing that we're all guilty before God. So, the Gentiles do, translated here instinctively, by nature, they don't have the law, but they do things of the law. This uh, article right here, the, is not actually in the Greek. Uh, It's not a big deal, but it does read a little differently to me, at least, when you say, when Gentiles who do not have the law do, by nature, things of the law. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's going to go on and list things like adultery and stealing. Right? I read that to you a minute ago. Do you know Gentiles, so to speak? Do you know unbelievers who think it's wrong to steal? I do. I do. They don't have any concern to please Jesus. They're not striving to obey God. But they think it's wrong to steal. Do you know unbelievers who think it's wrong to commit adultery? I do. Again, they're not Seeking to honor our King, they just have this instinct, <laughs> right? This this uh, this sense about them that it's not okay to cheat on your spouse, and that people who do cheat on their spouse and people who do uh, steal should be judged. Paul is saying when those Gentiles who don't have the law, they don't have the old covenant law. When they do the things of the law. They don't have the law, but they're a law to themselves. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Dale makes a great point here, great observation. Notice how he phrases it. The work of the law is written in their hearts. What is the work of the law? Dale nailed it. Let me show you where he's going with this yet again. It's in chapter 3, verse 20. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight because they can't keep it. That's the point he's making through this whole section. The Jews cannot keep the law, therefore they will not be declared righteous by God for keeping the law. The law exposed their sin. That's the work that the law did for the Jews. Do you see that? That's what Paul's getting at. The Gentiles have the work of the law written in their heart, meaning their sin is also exposed. Well, if they don't have the actual law written down, how do they know that they're sinning? Look what he says. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing them or defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Messiah Jesus. So the idea here is, as I understand it, is when myself let's say i'm a gentile which i am and i am not a christian i'm just a gentile on judgment day god is going to play back the tape if you will of my conscience and all these secrets in my heart that other people didn't see and hear. they didn't nobody else heard my thoughts they didn't know my thoughts but when I observe someone committing adultery, I think, you shouldn't do that. You're going to get it for that. Or if I committed adultery, this bad feeling I have, this sense of I shouldn't be doing this, I enjoy the, the pleasure of it, but later on I have regrets because I there's something inside me that says that was wrong, right? So you, you can imagine Gentiles doing that. You can imagine unbelievers doing that. The guilty conscience, the sense of, uh, I shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, what is that? That is the work of the law on the hearts of Gentiles. They didn't have it written down. They didn't know what God expected of the Jews. But inside, they had this voice saying, you shouldn't be doing that. You know that's wrong. God puts his conscience, puts a conscience, gives, gives men a conscience that tells them what they should and shouldn't be doing. And so on Judgment Day, Gentiles are going to have those thoughts revealed because God knows them. And he's going to say, all right, let's look at your th- inner thoughts. Do they defend you that you are actually righteous and you have persevered in doing all the right things? Or are they going to reveal that you knew better and you are a sinner? Obviously, where Paul's going here is all are under sin. So the Jew is going to be judged guilty by the law of Moses that God gave them, the Gentile is going to be judged guilty by his conscience that God gave him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul's point through this whole section. Uh, Peter says, just curious, why do you think Joseph and John the Baptist's parents were called righteous? Uh, Because I think they were generally righteous. Uh, Does that mean they were sinless? Uh, I think Paul would say no. Um, Other people are called righteous like Noah, right? Um, Why didn't you uh, use him as an example? Because we have very clear revelation that he was not sinless, uh, even though he was considered righteous. Paul said himself that before the law, he was blameless. Does that mean he thought he had never committed a sin? Apparently not. He called himself the chief of sinners. Uh, Lewis says, the work of the law equal knowledge of sin, increase sin. Yeah, we're going to get there, aren't we? Uh, Child of Bethlehem says, are we talking about saved, grafted in Gentile believers? Uh, not yet, we're not. Not yet. Don't jump ahead. Stay in the argument. <laughs> Peter says, is it nature or nurture as toddlers are quite happy to take things of other toddlers? Um uh, not sure. Do they know it's wrong? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh Edgar says it makes sense now. Excellent. Megan, why does Paul here say my gospel instead of the gospel? I think it's because it's the gospel that he is preaching. Um the gospel that says the Jews need to be saved as much as the Gentiles, uh, the gospel that he's been entrusted with uh to preach. So I think that's what he is getting at there with my gospel. It's the one that I preach. Uh kind of thing. Uh Child of Elohim says the Jews had the law but did not pursue it by faith. Yep, yep, don't get ahead. (laughs) Let's stay here. Just let this soak in. You've got to, this is our temptation is to jump ahead and and let's just stay here. He says, don't the Jews of today have the same problem? Yeah, everybody does. In the sense that nobody is perfectly righteous by any of God's standards. Uh, So yeah. The Jews do the Gentiles do it's uh it's the state of mankind (laughs) you don't have to say sorry Uh, I didn't mean that as a strong rebuke just uh I it I as I said at the beginning it seems like so many Christians today are very poor and weak at just tracing the argument through and so I'm trying to trying to teach you that as well as teach you uh what is contained here all right all right time is more than up and uh We'll leave it there for today. We'll come back tomorrow and keep working through it. Think on these things. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Take care.